Welcome to another episode of the Rams Ask a Chair podcast. My name is Hamza Ajaz, and today I have the pleasure of meeting Dr. Nicole McCoyne, who is a department uh, chair at Optioner Center. So thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Thank you for having me. Definitely. So let's talk a little bit more about what first drew you to the field of emergency medicine. So let's start at the beginning. Okay, sounds good. So um, I grew up with a father who had a long history of pretty severe cardiac disease. And so I was in and out of the hospital all the time as a child um, with him. And I was an only child. And so I was often kind of carrying the load, I guess you could say, um, on my own from, a, from that perspective. And so I had a lot of interactions, particularly in emergency medicine and in critical care, that were really a positive impact on me, the way the physicians handled certain situations, the way they communicated with us. Um, I thought was really, it showed me that they could have such a positive impact on so many people. And I think that's what really initially drew me towards medicine in general. Um, then I always had a liking for science, and so the two kind of fit together, and that's how I ended up going into medicine. Yeah, and honestly, the fact that mercy medicine has the potential to impact so many lives, a lot of people come to us on the worst day of their life, uh, or very close to the worst day of their life, you know, the potential to make that impact at that time, and, and meeting them is a huge uh, reason that I hear frequently, I also went to the reason for that reason as well, for people who go to mercy medicine. So, Absolutely. Touch a little more about your prior interests, your current interests, your prior experiences in terms of you have extensive background in medical education, you've held various leadership positions both at the undergraduate medical education level as well as the graduate medical education level, the program director as well, so quite a few extensive leadership positions prior to now you being the department chair. So let's talk a little bit more about how you first discovered the niche of medical education and what interested you there. Absolutely. So I... Always was a, a big nerd at heart, and I, I love. I always wanted to be a teacher before medicine even crept into the picture. And so I think the two, really, as far as medical education is concerned, it kind of it meshed those two interests together. Um, I really felt I could have such a positive impact that was so much more widespread by being in education. And that is what really drew me towards it. I think that the bonds that you make with the people that you train or the people that you teach, um, it's just, they're, they're long lasting. They're relationships that stay for a lifetime. And so it's more than just sitting in a classroom and delivering a lecture. It's about really the mentorship that's there and often the sponsorship that's there. And I think I get a lot personally out of those relationships and moments where I feel I can help someone else on their journey. And so that's really kept me in medical education for the long haul. I think the, the way it started was um, an interesting start. I uh, was with Dr. Corey Slovis, who was chair of Vanderbilt for a very, very long time, up until very recently. And he was one of my greatest mentors. And he really had a knack for finding things that people were good at and really giving them the confidence and the mentorship to pursue those. So I think without having him there and Keith Wren, who was the longstanding program director right before me, they really took an interest and really helped me develop the skills that they already saw were, were there and, and really helped me get to the point where I felt more confident as a leader and then, and then ultimately stepped into Keith's shoes as the program director there for quite some time and then moved on into a chair role 
um, after more mentorship from Corey. And so um, a lot of what I think the students will find is that this is a journey much like any other business. If you find the right people that you can network with and really develop relationships with that can help you along the way, it's, it's really so meaningful and really will help you kind of propel yourself down whatever path you choose. But it's all about those relationships that you build along the way. And then that's great insight that you provided. It's uh, a lot of the buzzwords that I'm hearing are mentorship, sponsorship, and both of those are very important, both within you know, medical education, but the field of academic emergency medicine altogether, and especially more so as a leader as well. Now, kind of a little bit more on touch base uh, about the undergraduate medical education versus the GME level in terms of if there is a resident who is considering pursuing a medical education fellowship and trying to figure out where their niche lies within the UME versus the GME level, like how did you kind of, since you've had roles in both of those settings, like how did you, how, what kind of advice would you provide to those uh, residents thinking about one of those two? So I think a lot of it is fact finding and experience. So I think if residents really energetically search for opportunities that give them exposure to those, because you really have to see it very closely from someone that can really shepherd you through at the beginning. I think if you can really seek out those opportunities, it's, it's so worthwhile, whether that be some more formal training through larger organizations, um, whether it be through your own institution, I think really seeking those out is important. Now, how you do that is sometimes tough, and so that's where you really need the networking portion I was talking about to really find and seek out those opportunities. Um, I can say I often uh, end up in these situations where I, I volunteer, I get bright ideas, and I volunteer for things that sometimes just spiral um, and so the way I got back into UME as a course director was through going to Harvard Macy, so getting some extra training. So looking for programs like that that can really um, give you that spark of excitement and get you into it and get you exposed to things. So I, I went there, and then when I was there, I said, hey, you know, I really want to get more into UME. So I reached out to my old dean and said, hey, if you ever need anybody to help out, you know, or... And the next thing I know, a week later, she said, hey, do you want to be a course director? Right? So I think it's um, it's all about, once again, those connections and really exposing yourself to all those different opportunities early on. Fair. That's, that's very helpful. So in the setting, basically, it sounds like maybe potentially consider pursuing formalized education or formalized mm -hmm. training, and then just putting yourself out there for an opportunity to study other people know that you're available for an opportunity to present itself. Absolutely. And I would say another thing that I was always very hesitant to do early on that now looking back would have been very helpful is I don't think that there's anything wrong with reaching out to leaders in a, in a, in a subspecialty or in a niche that you're interested in and asking them if you could interview them about their leadership background. What was their journey? Um, and take you know, 30 minutes with them and have them share with you how they ended up where they were, a lot of times those conversations really end up helping you out, either figure out how you can navigate it or to, to build that relationship you need with them. So I would encourage students to really not be afraid to, to reach out and ask. A lot of us really enjoy, like I was saying earlier, really enjoy that, that bond that we can build with them. So. Most definitely, yeah. It's, that's kind of what we're doing on this podcast here, you know, yeah. having the conversation with an excellent leader 
in, uh, in, this, in this niche here to kind of learning more and disseminating that knowledge for the residents and medical students. Mm -hmm. So touching a little bit more now about some of the medical students in terms of the most recent match, you know, it's been a historic match, incredible number of students being happy, and there's obviously, you know, it's generated a lot of conversation as well about some of the potential reasons for the unfilled match uh, spots. So I want to kind of get your uh, thoughts and feelings on this situation. Sure. So this is a definitely the hot topic, uh, definitely the hot topic here this weekend um, at this meeting. And I, I think many of us were uh, anticipating a bit of this. I think the magnitude was quite impressive. Uh, so just historically for the students listening, emergency medicine is a very competitive specialty. There were many, many years that there were, you know, maybe one or two unfilled spots or just a handful of, a handful of unfilled spots across the country at different residency programs. And so to have things turn in such a way that there's 217, I believe was the right number, unfilled spots across the country was a drastic change. There are um, some reasons for this. There has been, you know, many. There have been many more residencies that have opened up recently and opened up spots for trainees. And where I think this is really important for the students is, you know, we as leaders in emergency medicine are going to have to have some significant conversation in how we fix this issue because this can't perpetuate as it is now. Um, but for the students, I think it's going to be hard because you not only have a new platform of interviewing, primarily virtually, and who knows what next year's landscape will look like, but if that continues, that virtual piece, I think, has some pros and some cons. And then in the flip side, now you have a myriad of these new residencies opening up. And how do you know that that residency is going to have the certain things that you need to achieve your goals as a trainee and as a future emergency medicine physician. And so I think the tips I would give the students is that you may have to do a lot of homework offline, a lot of conversations offline about trying to figure out, seek from your leaders at your home institutions, you know, their thoughts on good programs that would be strong and be good training sites for them. And then really do a lot of homework looking at these programs in detail just to make sure you know. I mean, there and some of the new programs, I mean, Oshner is a newer program, but in a well-established academic institution that has had residencies and fellowships for forever. And so, so it's a little bit of a different beast. And so it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't make students wary of all new programs, but they just need to really look closely at the programs and look at look at what they're really offering to the trainee. Okay. I think that's very helpful for the listeners, so thank you for that advice. Mm -hmm. Now, you touched on, you know, the Oshner uh, residency, emergency medicine residency starting up recently, so I want to actually get your thoughts in terms of if you could first actually expand on some of the educational leadership opportunities you've already had and how those experiences have helped you in establishing and helping become uh, a successful department and residency. Now, yeah, it's actually... It's been so much fun. This job, I loved my job as a program director. That will always be right up there with all the great jobs in the world. But being a chair at this department has been such a gift. And the reason why is because we are building something so special. So the faculty that we have there are, are from all over the country and are and came to Oshner, many of them, the majority of them, because they knew what we were starting 
And, and so we're really just recruiting people in niches and from these different um, interests that are really building something great. But in doing so, the way I've tried to build this um, since I have been there is really following a lot of what I saw Corey Slovis do when, as Vanderbilt group, because I was there through all that transition from, I was in a class of eight residents, now there's a class of 13, and, you know, just watching all the new fellowships form and being part of that, and leading that as the vice chair for education there. Um, so I took a lot of, of what I learned watching him in action for all those years and really have tried to mirror a lot of what I found were his pieces of success and, and bring them down to New Orleans. And it's been um, really fun, you know, above all, what Corey really tried to do was build a family and build and really focus on the education, the training. That was his love too. Uh, and so that's, that's what I'm doing there. So I think I did have a lot of good lessons learned. I think, you know, advocating for the education of our trainees, finding a place that really, really focuses on our trainees, sometimes that's actually kind of difficult. And so, um, so that has been something I've really tried to adopt um, and bring over to, to Ashner. Okay. And then touch you a little more about some of the lessons that you learned from Dr. Slovis and from your different leadership experiences. Can you touch a little more about uh, on those lessons that you've learned about, like what exactly they were, and like yeah, how they've sure. helped you in the situation. So, um, you know, I think there is a certain. A lot of it is intangible. There's a certain way to lead that is um, based on building trust and relationship and family. And so, I think above and beyond all the nitty gritty of how to be a good lecturer and how to mentor residents like within the details and in the weeds, it's more about the culture that you create. A culture where the trainees understand that they are central to the department. Other than you know, patients first, the trainees are right there. And so under, I think building a culture where the trainees feel that and understand that, and there's an engagement in such a way that the focus always is surrounding not only how do we make this business work, but how do we make this a successful place for those we are training? And, um, and so those are kind of the tangibles. It's more, you know, how do you, how do you bring people into the group? How do you support them and bring them up in their roles? Look, searching for new leadership opportunities for my faculty and my residents. When a resident comes to me and says, I have an interest in advocacy. The next thing you know, I have that resident on an ASAP board or in a leadership position where they can really learn what that feels like. So um, I think a big part of his success was really finding ways to support each person as an individual. And, you know, it wasn't a, it truly wasn't about him. It was about the family that he was creating. It's very insightful. Thank you so much for that. And then I also kind of want to touch a little bit more about some of the other leadership experiences that you've had as well. I know recently you completed the Executive Leadership and Academic Medicine Program for Women. And I want to touch a little bit more about what were some of the themes that were covered over this uh, curriculum over this program, and how has that helped you in your current role as a chair? Sure. That was a very transformative program. Probably the best fe like fellowship or educational program that I have um, experienced in my career. It was a fellowship in which you learn it really prepares you. It takes mid to senior career 
females in academic medicine. So it could be there's some from dentistry, there's a, the majority from medicine, and they're all women who are about to embark on a significant transition in their career. So a lot of them are, you know, becoming chairs or becoming, uh, you know, some sort of leadership within their institution, a dean, something such as that. And so they bring us all together in um, a groups of about 70 women per year and teach us everything from finances to how to raise, how to build philanthropy to uh, how to negotiate um, difficult conversations. So there are a host of different educational offerings that they give us with world-renowned speakers. And they've really grown this program into a very enriching experience. And so I would encourage you all to just tuck that, at least the females, to tuck that in the back of their head for when they're mid-career or senior and they're getting ready to have a career change. The ELAM program is, is phenomenal. That's incredible. Yeah, I didn't, when I was looking it up, I hadn't realized that it was actually for that transitional stage of the leadership. But that's actually very helpful to have when you're about to pivot to another leadership opportunity to have a structured curriculum or mentorship um, experience to help you with that transition. So very, very interesting. I, I hope that a lot of listeners keep that in your in their in the back of their mind there then in that transition period as well. So thank you. Absolutely. Now, lastly, I just also want to touch on some of the advice that you would provide now you're a department chair, you're looking for recruiting faculty, fellows. When you're thinking about a new hire, what are you looking for? Uh, what do you what conversation have you had with other chairs when they're looking for new faculty sure. or new hires? So I think all of us, I think I can speak for at least most of us, would say that it really depends on what kind of job you're going for. If you're going to an academic site, which we can speak to first, since you're speaking to academic chairs here today, um, if you're going to an academic site, there are certain things that have to be present. You have to be, you have to show evidence that you are a hard worker and that you're enthusiastic and that your work ethic is really strong. You know, what we want is people to come in and want to go above and beyond, right? And so I think exhibiting those those characteristics in the interview, showing uh, showing details that can be examples of how you have been hardworking and enthusiastic throughout your career are really important. And so those are kind of like the gimmies. I mean, you certainly would expect that that would be important, but honestly, that is truly the most important trait is hardworking, competent, and, you know, really work, working well with other people. We want to bring people in that are fun to be around, right, and want to be part of the family. And so those are the biggest things. Now, if you're applying to an academic site, you're also going to want to bring with you something that makes you special. You always want to have something that makes you indispensable, right, in any job. And so uh, that, that's always good job security. So having some sort of fellowship training, for example, or um, extra experience in a certain niche is going to make you much more of a desirable candidate to that particular program, especially the way emergency medicine is today where, you know, there's ultrasound and tox and sim and international medicine. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so if you can bring something special to the mix, that could be maybe an MPH or an MBA or experience that you have had that will set you apart from other applicants to that program. Now, if you decide you want to go into the community, which there are a number of really amazing community jobs, then I think the things we talked about at first become the crux of the decision-making. How you know competent are you? How much do you want to put in the extra work? 
and, and how well you work with other people, then it becomes a little less focused on specific niches. And so it really depends on which branch point you're going to go for as to what you need to bring to the table. That's very helpful advice for all of our listeners. Uh, I'll definitely keep that in mind as well. When I'm thinking about applying for a job now in the next uh, 12 or 14 months approximately, so thank you for <laughs> well, that. <laughs> exactly, yeah, just in the back of my mind a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. But Dr. McCoy, thank you so much for your time today. I know you've got a very busy schedule, uh, so thank you so much for sharing your advice, your experiences as well. It's been very informative. So thank you so much for uh, attending today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.